Hello and welcome to the first one of our podcasts for conference and today we are welcoming one of our country advisors and it's Jonathan Stahl from Scotland. Now our NAD projects and plans really rely on input from our members um, and on top of that we have special advisors. Now Jonathan is our advisor for events and policy in Scotland and so when we're planning anything we tend to run it by him or to ask for his input on um, possible events. So you know who to contact if you actually uh, want to get something done via NADP. So welcome, Jonathan. Nice to uh, see you today. Hello. <laughs> okay, so I just want to ask a few questions and so we can get to know you uh, and the membership can get to know you. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and the institution where you're working now? So I moved up to Scotland about 20 years ago, having studied here in the 90s. Uh, I'm currently working at Edinburgh Napier University. We're one of the post-92 unis in the city, alongside Harriet Watt and Edinburgh. Okay, so you moved up to Scotland. So where, where do you hail from originally? London originally. Uh, when I first moved up, I worked at Abertay in Dundee. And then I had a few years between Abertay and Napier working at Fife College. Oh, great, because we've got um, quite a few college members now. So we always in welcome input on, on how to support those that are at college Um and supporting students at further education colleges too. So how big is your team at Edinburgh Napier? So we have four advisors uh, working one-to-one -one with students and I've got my own small student caseload. We have Claire, our assistive tech trainer, Heather, our disabled student engagement worker, and two admin colleagues keeping us all correct always it's, we're hearing quite a lot from universities that uh, some universities have decided that uh, their disability advisors can do their own admin uh, and that seems to be causing some major problems so uh, we uh, i always appreciated our administrators and i'm sure you do too absolutely yeah so going back a bit to you how did you start your career in disability support so one of the roles I had at, at Abertay was setting up a retention-focused team which delivered study skills support. And with changes of personnel within the wider student services team, uh, I found myself with responsibility for the disability team there. So segued from a generalist role and slowly over the years picked up some more specialist knowledge and experience uh, so was managing both the generalist study support team and the specialist disability service when I left Abertay, carried that over to Fife College, and then this role at Napier is focused specifically on the disability team. Okay, great. So if you started in England, you, you may be a bit aware of the, the English system um, for students who are um, studying for higher education at colleges and universities. 
Are there major differences for Scottish students studying at universities? Um, and I'm thinking here about application to, to university and application for disabled students too. Application to uni is mostly through the UCAS system, so no real difference there. And we'll start working with applicants over the summer based on, for the most part, what they've disclosed on their UCAS form or for a few where they've made direct contact with us well in advance. In terms of access to DSA, SAS works differently to student finance. That brings some benefits. Uh, uh, so it's being a smaller setting, it's easier to know the advisors within SAS and follow-up queries, for instance. We... Napier is slightly different to most other unis. We don't do our own needs assessments in-house, but we do have really close working relationships with the main access centre, which is based at Edinburgh College, next door to one of our campuses. So that works really well. On the other hand, there are some odd niggles. So SAS asks for a fresh application every year of study, which produces more paperwork for a student finance it's a bit more seamless. Once you're in the system, you're in the system. So swings and roundabouts. Okay. And, and so that's um, administered through the um, Scottish government then? Yeah. So yeah. SAS is its own agency under Scottish government. All oh, right. Okay. Thanks. And... and is the application timetable about the same as well? Um, I'm thinking in, in England, the fact that um, schools actually support students through the process at the moment uh, to some extent. But there's an awful lot of talk uh, nowadays about post-qualification assessment uh, and starting university later. Um, is that similar in, in Scotland? Is that talk going on too? Yes, because a lot of that is being driven by UCAS. So we're fully embedded in the UCAS system. Whatever change happens south of the border will have an impact north of the border. Uh, I have a sense that there's probably less discussion up here about it just at the moment. Uh, so we may have to play catch up in the next six, nine months and see what happens. Yes, it's definitely being heavily discussed uh, in England at the moment with, um, I think there's about four different systems that people are looking at. Um, and uh, NADP, we're trying to make sure that uh, disabled students are considered along the way as well, um, due to the fact that it doesn't work well to have students um, applying to university in August uh, and starting in October with no support in place. Yeah, we've certainly put a huge amount of effort over the past couple of summers to try and get in touch with as many applicants as possible and get some at least basic support plans in place for them as they start. How we do that, if we're only finding out about people August and they're starting October, it'll make it so much more challenging. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I've, I, yeah, we've had students apply, blind students apply through clearing and had real problems in trying to set up support for just one student in a in that amount of time. The thought of trying to set up support for the whole of um, the disabled contingent of support for a university in, in a month is, is rather frightening. Yeah, because we're trying to make efforts to mainstream reasonable adjustments uh, the most common stuff people are asking for and getting from us are there by default so we're making moves in that direction but however successful you are you're still going to have a sizable group of students where you need to make really detailed bespoke arrangements and actually just ironing out between you and the student what they need and how you can put it into practice it just takes time there's no getting around this. Yes, I think, you know, it's building on the, the inclusivity we've been hearing about for the past few years now. And, and however supportive we are of inclusivity, and we really do want inclusivity, um, there's always those that will need extra adjustments on top of that. Um, how is inclusivity practice across Scotland? We're hearing in England that it's it can vary quite dramatically from, from one situation or one institution to another. Um, is that the same in Scotland or do you think it, it's um, quite good across the whole of the country? I think that's probably true up here as well. Uh, and I think everyone will be honest and say it varies within institutions some subject areas there's more of a subject-based identity around inclusive practice there's more progress amongst practitioners across institutions so they're further forward uh, others especially where they have slightly more traditional conventional professional bodies accrediting programs are slightly further behind we're certainly trying to make real moves in that direction at an institutional level. Uh, but just going through QA quality processes means it all takes time. Even once yes. you've got everybody on board agreeing, yes, this is the direction of travel, it still takes time. Mm. The other term that we're hearing an awful lot about um, nowadays is intersectionality. Um, and it's certainly helping NADP to, to think about um, how to work with our members to increase understanding that one size does not fit all when it comes to disabled students. It's an argument that we're actually using with um, government when we're talking to them about quality control and the fact that one package would not fit every dyslexic student, for instance. Um, intersectionality comes into play. Um, is that a term that's uh, generally in use in, in Scotland and, and becoming more of a help? Yes, it's part of the current debate. I think there are, as we try and look across what could be silos of activity, uh, I think there are lessons we're all trying to learn from each other. I think one of the things from efforts generally, prompted by the Black Lives Matter movement around representation in the curriculum especially, have they resonate 
for me in terms of work around disability inclusion, because I think adapting teaching and assessment practice to make them more inclusive is only part of the story and representation of disability and disabled people in the curriculum, which tends not to be a big part of the debate at the moment. I think that's also part of the story. And so there I can look to work sort of Black Lives Matter type activity and decolonization of the curriculum activity and think, right, there are lessons there, there are approaches to follow. So I think intersectionality is valuable in different ways. Yes, as we think about the work we're doing to support each individual, but also more broadly about sort of strategies and approaches to this work. Yeah, it's interesting you should mention um, that because uh, I've just been looking at one of our conference videos that's come through. Uh, and De Montfort University um, started off with uh, decolonizing the curriculum. And they're now looking at decolonizing the university and analyzing um, the students that are, are visiting or the demographics of the students that are visiting disability services and accessing support. Um, so uh, I, I would recommend all members have a, have a look at that video when it comes up on our site because they're doing some really interesting work and finding some, some hidden facts that have been hidden by the intersectionality of the group they're actually working with. Mm -hmm. That'll be interesting. I'll have a look. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, it's been really difficult in the last few years for disability support with cuts and changes and actually over the past five or six years, really, isn't it? Uh, and then everything was disrupted by COVID last year. Has there been an, any or have you heard of any really outstanding good practice from any of your, your local institutions Anything that really stands out for you in the way of, of the COVID changes or even the further back, the cuts and changes? So, certainly, university level, we're quite a close-knit community. So we meet regularly, we compare notes, we work in tandem. So I think in that sense, there's probably less standout practice because we're all moving in the same direction in similar sort of pace if that so, makes sense yeah so uh, you have you have a group of um uh, is it heads of service meet in scotland meeting up as a group so we'll meet three four times a year partly moral support as peers partly compare notes partly discuss sort of the general issues that affect us all so Working relationships with SAS and the funding application process, for instance, will be topical. Uh, whether a Scottish government consultations coming up, we'll discuss them around the table. So it works nicely that we're able to get together quite so regularly. We've managed to, through teams of through the past year and a bit of pandemic and lockdown, in terms of people I look to for inspiration. Uh, De Montfort, Sunderland, uh, Leeds in this country. There's really interesting work around universal design in Ireland. And I look to AHEAD as one of NADP's partner organisations, as well as sort of the main 
biases and proponents of universal design in the States and North America. So they tend to be where I look for inspiration. Okay, great. Thank you. So what do you think you personally can bring to your role uh, as Scottish advisor to the NADP board? Is there things you've thought about uh, investigating and bringing forward for us to, to help you with? Um, or has any colleagues um, approached you and said, we could really do with some training on this? I think at the outset, I'm hoping I can be sort of bridge and provide the two-way communications uh, so we're a good, strong, cohesive group within Scotland, more connections out with Scotland and looking to the rest of the UK and starting to build bridges and effective working relationships with partners across the whole country, I think would be useful. And then when similarly, when there are UK-wide issues and there's a distinctive Scottish agenda or element involved, hopefully I can bring that sort of Scottish flavour to NADP. Okay, that's great. A bit more about you, I think, just so our members can get to know you. So none of us have been able to get away much in the last year um and that's led to some great new hobbies and activities and um sports and things have you taken up anything new <laughs> i'm gonna give you the most disappointing answer no probably not <laughs> i think at the end of this if we get to the end of this i'll make myself a t-shirt that says here's the languages i never learned under lockdown here's how i never learned to crochet and so on <laughs> a big disappointment. <laughs> okay. But it has also led quite a lot of us to evaluate our, our lives and our jobs. Um, have you actually thought much about your career and the way things have turned out while, uh, while you've been reflecting this year? I've spent most of the past year working literally in a cupboard. Uh, <laughs> so I think my main reflection is I can do this I can spend my days on my own in a cupboard but it's probably not that healthy for me <laughs> um, I need to get back into I also don't stay in Edinburgh I'm out of town there was commuting in uh, at some point I'm going to have to re-embrace the commute the joys of Scott Rail. Uh, and actually spending time in close company with other people, not just my family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and just as a final thing then, what advice would you give to a young disability advisor just starting out? So I've got a couple of new colleagues joining the team shortly as a couple of long-standing colleagues head into their retirement and I think I've been trying to set out sort of the basket sort of shopping list of support measures we can typically offer students really easily so they know that there are resources to draw on but the key message is probably start with the student themselves listen to them no one comes as a blank sheet we all know and you can tease out in conversation what their support strategies have been either deliberate or subconscious to so start with the student listen to where they are 
and work with them to build from there. That's fabulous. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you for, for joining us today to uh, tell us about your experiences and, uh, and share Scotland with our membership. Thank you. <laughs>